Hello and thank you for checking out the Hopewell Valley Student Podcasting Network, a proud partner of the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network, where students come together to publish student-driven content to share with the world. This network empowers students to become content creators for all different types of digital mediums. For more student-ran podcasts, blogs, artwork, and content, please check out the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network at www.hvspn.com. The opinions represent within the digital content are those of the content creators. Now please enjoy the following podcast episode. Hello and welcome to my AP Biology Thoughts podcast. My name is Nikki Evich, and I'm your host for episode number six called Unit 7 Evolution, the Hardy-Weinberg Equilibrium. Today, we will be discussing the conditions for Hardy-Weinberg Equilibrium, the importance of it, and the equations used to find the characteristics of it. So, what is a Hardy-Weinberg Equilibrium? In a Hardy-Weinberg Equilibrium, no evolution takes place. This allows us to see what a population should look like if there is no evolution. To find the characteristics of this equilibrium, we use two equations. In the two equations, there are two variables used. The first is P. This represents the dominant genotype or the dominant allele frequencies. And there's also Q. This represents the recessive genotype and allele frequencies. Now say either represents the genotype frequency or the allele frequency because it depends if it's squared or not. The first equation is P plus Q equals 1. This represents the allele frequency for the recessive allele and the dominant allele. And this equals 1 because if you think if 20% of the population has the recessive allele and if 80% has the dominant alleles, then 100% or the whole population has one of these alleles. And since we're only using two alleles, this has to make sense. And for this, we use des in the actual equation, p plus q equals 1, we use decimals. So in other words, if 0.2 of the population had the recessive alleles and 0.8 had the dominant alleles, it would equal 1. And it's the same thing as the 20%, 80%, 100%. And the next equation is p squared plus 2pq plus q squared equals 1. The p squared equals the homo, homogeneous dominant genotype frequency. The q squared equals the homogeneous recessive genotype frequencies. And 2pq equals a heterozygous frequency for the p and the q. This would look like the homogeneous for the dominant would be pp. The heterozygous would be PQ, and the homogeneous for the recessor would be QQ. So this also equals 1 because all the genotype frequencies in the population, it's one of these three. So it all has to, when it comes together, equal 1. And there's a 2, it says 2PQ to represent the heterozygous because there's two possibilities, either having the P or the Q first. So it could be QP or PQ, so there's two possibilities for that. When do we use these equations? Well, to use the Hardy-Weinberg equations, there can't be evolution, any evolution taking place. Let's remember what evolution is. So there's five fingers of evolution. The first is genetic drift. This is random non-adaptive changes due to a random event. This is the bottleneck event, bottleneck or the founder's effect. So the bottleneck effect is 
when there's a random event that causes a decrease in the population, so there's little genetic variation because the population was cut down to only a few individuals. And the founder's effect is when there's migration to a new area of a small portion of the population, and the population starts there. Once again, with a small population, there's little genetic variation. Then the next is non-random mating, or also called sexual selection. The slogan for this is traits that get you mates. So an example of this is peacocks with larger and brighter feathers are more likely to attract mates because this is a trait that their mates find attractive. This could cause some organisms with a certain trait to reproduce more and others without the trait to kind of their population would decrease or they could potentially die off. And so with mutations, that's the next finger of evolution. And this is just a change in the DNA sequence or the protein sequences of an organism that change that ha- makes it have some sort of different trait for it. So an example of this is if there were brown birds and blackbirds in the population, and then all of a sudden a mutation caused one of the birds to be white. This is just, it's creating a whole new color. And the fourth finger of evolution is gene flow, and this is when alleles are brought together to create a new characteristic. So say a red bird and a blue bird mate, and they create a purple bird. This is an example of that. And then natural selection is the final finger of evolution, and this is non-random adaptive changes to an environment. And so an example of this is the Galapagos finches. So it was observed that finches had bigger beaks for getting these bigger nuts in the trees. And then after something happened, the more readily supply of food was smaller nuts. And then over the years, this same population of finches all the new norm was having a smaller beak because this was what made it better and so this was due to the evolutionary pressure of food those are the five fingers of evolution or the five things that cause evolution the five requirements for a hardy weinberg equilibrium which i remind you there is no evolution there can be no genetic drift no selection sexual selection no mutations no gene flow or and no natural selection so essentially everything i just described none of that can happen for a hardy weinberg equilibrium to exist and since that's pretty much impossible due to because evolution is always happening it's more of a theoretical calculation and so if it's only theoretical why would scientists and biologists use it if you take a population and use a hardy weinberg equations on it and find the characteristics the genotype frequencies and the allele frequencies if no evolution were to take place, and then compare it to what the um, population actually looks like after a certain number of years where evolution did take place. You can see where evolution took place and if evolution took place, and it really just shows the difference between if no evolution took place versus when evolution took place. So it's evidence for that. So that's pretty much it. Um, I hope this helped. Thank you for listening to the episode. To my episode of my AP Biology Thoughts for more student ran podcasts, make sure you visit www.hvspn.com. Thanks for listening.